Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And let's, let's open class with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, it is again such a privilege to come together with people who love you and want to grow in your kingdom, to share and study. We ask that your spirit will join us and draw us closer to you with every word we speak and all of our activities as we study your word today, that we may uh, become enlightened and become more effective in sharing this end time message with people around the world. We pray in your holy name. Amen. For those again watching online, the title for the lesson for the last two weeks, last week was the seal of God and Mark the Beast part one. And so this is the seal of God, Mark of Beast, part two in the quarterly. And the material covered is the material we have in our magazine, the Unmasking the Beast of Revelation 13 and 17. And so last week in part one, we covered Revelation 13, one, the beast coming up out of the sea. And this week we're going to cover the second beast of Revelation 13 and the beast of Revelation 17, because it's the same material, but we're going to do a little PowerPoint presentation. Uh, Not going to have my normal... Um, notes, PDF notes. The notes for this class are already printed in this magazine. So you can have this magazine. You can, if you're not, uh, if you don't have it in print, it's available on our website. You can download the PDF. You can do the flip book. If you have a U.S. postal address or you live in South Africa or Australia, we also will ship it in those areas as well. So, okay. So let's go ahead into our presentation today. And as I said last week, don't be intimidated by the PowerPoint. Um, This is interactive in this class. I want feedback from you. This is still in developmental stage. Uh, These, uh, you may see some typos on the slides. They haven't been through an editor. Uh, So I'm bringing these to you because I've been working on this for some months now to make an actual Revelation seminar. And it is appropriate in our class today for this material. So if you see some areas that could improve the flow or the organization, share that with me to make it more comprehensive with people, okay? So a recap of part one is the book of Revelation is the book of revelation, not concealment. It's not the book of mysticism or secrecy or hiding things. It's the book of revealing, uncovering, or disclosing and enlightening. Um, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take, take it to heart. This is what the Bible promises. It's to reveal truth to us. The primary purpose of Bible prophecy is to increase our faith in God, not to give us a crystal ball to accurately predict every detail of the future. That's not the primary purpose. Once history unfolds, the prophecy becomes clear and we have confidence or know that God foresaw the future so our confidence in God is built. And even though we can't see the future, we can have confidence that he can. And that's the primary purpose of, of Bible prophecies. So our interpretations of the events yet to come not dogmatic. It's okay if we see it different. It's not a, not a big deal. We will be, re- and we, I personally remain open to modification as history unfolds because uh, I'm doing my best to interpret these things of the biblical principles, but until it actually happens, won't know with 100% certainty. Much of Revelation is, is written in symbolism, which is a form of code. That's a different form of code. <laughs> You know, I don't know if you realize, but as you've been reading my slides, you've been reading symbolism. The letters of the English alphabet are symbols put together in certain ways to form words. That's the Korean language. And if you want to know what that means, you have to decode it, don't you? And, and what it says is, in order to understand it, we must decode it. That's what it says there in Korean. And so we are decoding, sim- if you know how to read and write, you're decoding symbols all the time. Wow. Okay. Revelation just has a different type of symbolism that as we learn to decode it, then we can understand the meaning behind it. If you can't decode those symbols, 
then it's meaningless gibberish. Worse, if you assign false meanings to the symbols, then not only do you not know what it truly means, you don't look for what it means because you think you know what it means, but you've given it a false meaning. (laughs) So it's even worse. So rules of interpretation that we're going to be using, if one part of the passage is symbolic, the rest of it's symbolic unless it's clear reasons to be taken literal or in the text. The Bible will be used to interpret itself. So we will first look to the Bible to explain any symbol before we look outside the Bible for an explanation. Revelation's theme is the conflict between Christ and Satan. That's its theme. There was war in heaven. The conflict between Christ and Satan is not a physical war, but a war of ideas, methods, principles, for the purpose of winning hearts and minds to loyalty to one side or another and how we live and, and treat others. God's character of love never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Therefore, interpretations of Revelation will never place God in being something other than he is, a being of love. God's law, his law of love, his design protocols for life never change. Therefore, our interpretations will be in harmony with his design law of love. So, beast, and we're still still doing a review. Beast and scripture are used to represent powers. Those powers can be nations, but they can also be individuals. Like the dragon represents Satan. The serpent represents Satan. The lamb represents Jesus. Okay? You will find that much of... I just ask you, to the historical interpretations you often maybe have been raised with seem to forget this piece of what the beast can represent. And it's going to come into play today. Uh, quite significantly. Just like we have done in human history, we have the eagle represents the United States, the bear represents Russia, the lion, Richard the Lionheart represents Richard the, the King of England, and so forth. We've always done this. The Bible does it as well. Ferocious beasts represent powers that rule by force. Earthly governments rule by imposed law, might, power, force, and coercion. They tear apart and destroy that which opposes them. Jesus rules by truth, love, and freedom, and thus is represented as a lamb, the gentle lamb, that would allow himself to be slaughtered rather than use his power to slaughter his enemies. The beast, Revelation 13.1, and this is still review because we did this in detail last week, is a composite chameleon beast. It's a chameleon. Think what a chameleon. It changes, okay? It's a composite beast representative of the various false religions and powers that Satan uses to oppose God's true people in church. The seven heads represent the seven false systems. They have blasphemy on each name. The seven false systems at the time that John wrote, five had fallen, already proven to be false. One was, and one was to come later. Seven false systems, and those false systems we went through last week are paganism, godlessness, Eastern mysticism, Islam, Judaism, which had fallen by, by rejecting Christ. And in 96 AD, it had already been left, its house was left desolate. Roman Christianity, which was the Christianity forming, and then false Protestantism. These are the seven that we went through last week. The ten horns equal the ten powers, and we explained and went in great detail how horns in Bible represent various powers. And the ten powers used by Satan in his governments and systems are the power of lies, made-up rules or imposed laws, the accusation and police powers. He's the accuser of the brethren. Judicial power to determine externally guilt or innocence rather than diagnostic power to diagnose what actually is. Economics, the power of artificial uh, setting, setting uh, economic powers 
um, the, the power of war, power of death. Christ took upon himself human flesh that might destroy him, holds the power of death, that is the devil. Education, is, there's a Christian education, a godly education, and that's why it's slash. Education is co-opted, the godly education is co-opted by the beast spouse for indoctrination. So they indoctrinate into a way of thinking rather than actually educate. Uh, ownership, uh, the biblical principle is God is the owner of all and we are his stewards. And this is co-opted that we can be owners and we own things. And then fear uh, is all of these things are operating through fear, manipulating people through fear. The theme and focus of scripture, there is war in heaven over God's trustworthiness. That war spread to earth and Adam and Eve broke trust with God and they became infected with sin terminal condition, dead in trespass and sin. Right in Genesis 3.15, before they leave Eden, God promises a savior will come to provide salvation for the human race and redeem the earth from Adam's sin. And the entire Old Testament narrative is the focus of that promise. Everything in the Old Testament is God is working to bring the Messiah. Satan is working to try and stop the Messiah. That's why, uh, that's why in the Old Testament we focus on Abraham's children, but not through Ishmael, not through Esau, but down through Jacob, and all the way ultimately focusing down on just Judah from where the Messiah comes. The New Testament, after the Messiah has successfully come, achieved his mission, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, the New Testament now focuses our attention on those who carry the gospel message forward. And thus Bible prophecies that extend past the New Testament focus our attention on those who are carrying the gospel message, and Satan is working to oppose the message of Jesus Christ. And that's why we end up focusing where we do in Revelation 13 and other places, and we're not focusing over in China or the American India, uh, Indian uh, p- nations and so forth. We're focusing in Europe because that's where the gospel is advancing. And so back to the beast with seven heads and ten horns, the first beast of Revelation 13. This beast, seven false systems, heads where you think, direct through the philosophies and belief systems the rulers of those nations adopt the ten horns to advance those beliefs and persecute the saints. So one of the seven heads, yes. Uh, Only one of the seven heads was wounded, not the entire beast. Get your mind around that. It's often presented that the beast represents the wounded head. No, the wounded head was one false system that had its wound healed, but the beast represents the conglomeration of all the false systems and the ten powers that are used in regional places around the world to oppose the saints. Thus, um, it's a chameleon beast. It changes with a different head in charge at different places in time using the same ten whore powers to oppose God. So in the Dark Ages in Europe, where the Bible focuses our attention for the 42 months of power, the papal head was directing the ten horns to persecute the saints. But in communist lands today, it's the godless head directing those same ten horns to persecute the, ten, the, the saints. In Iran, it's the Islamic head that directs those same ten horns to persecute the saints. In ancient Africa and the Americas, it was the pagan head that was directing those ten horns. And during COVID, we saw the beast act globally to restrict liberties, close houses of worship, coerced consciences, but it was not led by the wounded head. 
If you want to know what head was leading during COVID, it was the godless head. It was godless forces controlling various nation states' leaders to coerce consciences. Following the beast, all but the saints of God will follow the beast by embracing and practicing the methods of the beast via one of the seven false systems. The atheist who denies there's a God but believes only in the fallen natural world, the survival of the fittest method, embraces the methods of power over others to advance and protect self, and therefore coerces consciences, restricts liberties, forces compliance, is worshiping Satan and the beastly systems, even if they deny they're religious. That's what it means to be a beastly person or follow the beast, to use the methods, identify with the methods, and practice the methods. Now let's go to the second beast of Revelation 13. Second beast of Revelation 13 is a dual prophecy. It's a dual fulfillment prophecy. There's two fulfillments of this. Example of dual fulfillment. There's multiple ones. I give multiple ones in the, in the magazine. I'm only going to do one here for time's sake. This is uh, Joel's prophecy of the pouring of the latter rain. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out uh, my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth and blood and fire and billow and smoke. The sun will turn darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then if you read in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 18, Peter, this is what it says, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. This is, this is only nine, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is a dual fulfillment prophecy. And the rules of dual fulfillment prophecies, you'll find the same thing when Jesus uh, in Matthew 24 talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming. You'll find in other places when uh, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 talking about the king of Tyre and and, uh, and, uh, Lucifer falls from heaven. These are dual fulfillments. The the rules of a dual fulfillment, there is a lesser regional application and there is a greater global application. Not every element applies to both applications. The lesser regional serves the goals of the greater global. So in Joel's prophecy, lesser regional, Palestine, day of Pentecost, when the, when the Holy Spirit came. Glo- global regional, excuse me, glo- greater global, is the worldwide outpouring before the second coming of Christ to empower all of God's people. In the lesser regional, there were no wonders in the heavens. The moon didn't turn to blood. The sun did not stop shining. But those wonders are seen prior to the latter rain outpouring before the second coming of Christ. So let's read about the second beast now. We're going to identify the elements and then go through. Then I saw another beast which came up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb's horns, and it spoke like a dragon. It used the vast authority of the first beast in its presence. It forced the earth and all who live on it to worship the first beast whose wounded head was healed. The second beast performed great miracles. It made fire come down from out of heaven to earth in the sight of everyone. And it deceived all the people living on the earth by means of the miracles which it was allowed to perform in the presence of the beast. The beast told them to build an image in honor of the beast that had been wounded but by the sword and yet lived. 
the beast that was allowed to breathe life into the image of the first be- the second beast was allowed to breathe life into the image of the first beast so that the image could talk and put to death all those who would not worship it. The beast forced all small all people, small and great, rich and poor, slave and free, to have a mark placed on their right hands and on their foreheads. So no one could buy or sell without having this mark. That is the beast's name or the number that stands for the name. This calls for wisdom. Whoever's intelligent can work out the meaning of the number of the beast because the number stands for a human name. Its number is 666. Understand in these prophecies of Revelation 13, mentioned but not a new beast in Revelation 14, and Revelation 17, there are actually three beasts involved here. There is the chameleon beast of Revelation 13.1 that we in detail went over last week. There is the beast with lamb-like horns we're going to go over right now. And then there is the image of the chameleon beast built or brought to life by the beast with the lamb-like horns. That beast is described in Revelation 17. Three beasts. Three powers. So, and I will show you this three. This is uh, Revelation 13, 14, and 15. The beast with lamb-like horns, that's the one it's referred to here, told them to build an image. That image is the third beast of Revelation 17. In honor of the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. That's the chameleon beast of Revelation 13, 1. Three different beasts. The second beast, the one with the lamb-like horns, was allowed to breathe life into the image of the first beast, the image, not breathe life into the first beast. Can't tell you how many times people have suggested that this new beast that's coming is just the old beast, the old chameleon beast of the dark ages coming back to life again. It's not. It is an image of that beast. That's the third beast of Revelation 17, which is the image of the one from the dark ages. So that image, the third beast, could talk and put to death all who would not worship it. Understand, there is a certain view that's gone forth that suggests that that beast that comes in the future is simply the old beast of Revelation 13.1 dominating the world. That's not what this is teaching. Identifiers of the second beast of Revelation 13. It comes up after the first beast. It arises from the earth. Two lamb-like horns speaks like a dragon, has the authority or power of the first beast, and it will deceive, it specifically deceives, courses and forces, restricts liberties, causes all except the saints to worship the first beast, performs miracles and calls fires down from heaven, followers are marked on their forehead or their hand, its number is 666. These are the identifiers. All elements apply only to the global fulfillment. Only some of the elements apply to the regional fulfillment. So let's look at this dual fulfillment power. Lesser, regional, versus greater, global. A national, regional power arising near the end of the 1260-year prophecy, which is sometime around 1798. The global, worldly one. Sometime after the wounded power has been healed. So sometime after 1929. For the prophecy says the beast told them to build an image in honor of the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived or had its wound healed. So sometime after 1929, the greater global fulfillment will happen. Arises from the earth. 
what does the earth represent? Well, in Scripture, Revelation 17, 15 tells us that the waters that you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. So water represents people, populations, then earth represents relative less water. So a regional fulfillment would be arises from the earth, would be a, po- a power arising around 1790s in a relatively sparse, unpopulated part of the world that hasn't really been civilized or developed yet. The greater global power, though, will rise without human support. Their power does not derive from the people. Two lamb-like horns. Another clue, remember, is our theme of Scripture. Our theme, war in heaven and sin, Messiah promised, Old Testament focus on the avenue through which Messiah will come, New Testament Bible prophecy focuses on those who carry the gospel forward, and then Revelation 13 focuses specifically on the wounded head, that one false head, where it is attacking the saints who are trying to advance the gospel. That's what we identified last week and had power for 1,260 months. And that's the first beast of Revelation, persecuting the saints. Revelation focuses our attention on the people advancing the gospel. That's why it identifies the papal head in the Dark Ages. And this theme continues with the next beast with lamb-like horns that rises with lamb-like principles to try and resist the power of the beast that's persecuting the saints. But this power, initially trying to give us that protection, will eventually become dragon-like. And so I think you can figure out that a national power that arose in the 1790s in a relatively unpopulated part of the world is the United States, and it arose with two lamb-like principles, religious liberty and civil liberties. It's the Declaration of Independence, 1776, but the Bill of Rights was written in 1789, and it wasn't ratified until 1791. So we're right in the time frame of the Bible prophecy here, and we have the elements of a, of a civil power, a national power arising that appears to be lamb-like in protecting the saints from religious persecution. Specifically, the Bill of Rights, ratified in 1791, if you ever identified the Bill of Rights, but most of the protections in the Bill of Rights were specifically constructed by the founders of this country to protect from the Roman Inquisitor. The Inquisitor was empowered by the Roman Church uh, to do the Inquisition. And if the Inquisitor came uh, and found you guilty, then the power of the state was used to enforce the Inquisitor's ruling that you're a heretic and you would be imprisoned or burned at the stake. And so the first was separation of church and state, that a church cannot use state power to enforce its dogma. That was the the first thing to protect us from. The second, freedom of speech. Under the Dark Ages, you could not criticize the church. You criticize the church, that's heresy, that's blasphemy, and and, and there's many cases of people being actually tortured, imprisoned, and executed for criticizing the church. You didn't have freedom of press. You couldn't actually publish. In fact, who was the first, trans, uh, per, first person reformer who translated the Bible into English? Wycliffe. Wycliffe, thank you. Wycliffe, what happened to Wycliffe? He was burned at the stake for translating the Bible. No freedom of the press. You can't do that. The church has to give you permission. Uh, Right to remain silent. Have you heard of your fifth amendment? You have the right to remain silent? You ever heard of that? If, an inqu- if you're under the inquisitor and the inquisitor asks you a question and you refuse to answer, that's an admission of guilt. 
So you either answer or your, your silence is taken as an admission of guilt. So a specific right was put in that you have the right to remain silent and you will not be considered guilty. Further, if you're under the Inquisitor, you're soon to be guilty and you have to prove your innocence. The Constitution Bill of Rights, you're presumed to be innocent and the prosecutor has to prove you're guilty. And you have the right to privacy, to not have your private belongings and spaces searched without warrant. The Inquisitor could come in at any time and search your property and, and, and search your home without any due process whatsoever. And so the Bill of Rights, the civil and religious liberties, by the rising power in the new world in a relatively unpopulated place, was specifically designed to protect from the persecution of the chameleon beast and provide civil and religious liberties. But this beast, those lamb-like horns will eventually speak like a dragon and use all the powers of the first beast and will deceive, will coerce, will use force, will restrict liberties. Has the United States used all ten of these powers? So the, the, the identifiers uh, arises near the end of the 1260 years, near 1798, arises from the earth, unpopulated regions, so the identifiers of the United States as a lesser fulfillment. That meets both of those. Two lamb-like horns, religious and civil liberties, meets that. Uh, theme of scripture is advancing the gospel. Uh, the Bill of Rights, specifically designed to protect from religious persecution, um, to, protect, to protect religious liberty or from persecution. And then uses the ten beastly powers to restrict liberties and speaks like a dragon. Has the United States, despite our constitutional protections of religious liberties and civil liberties, restricted those liberties? Have you seen that? Yeah. Have we seen houses of worship closed, businesses shut down, travel restricted, speech censored, and, and consciences coerced? Have we seen that? Yes. And have we seen this done under the guise of needing to save lives? In other words, under the pursuit of so-called righteousness or justice? Yes. Get your mind around that. So the USA is the lesser regional fulfillment of the second beast. And if that is so, then what is the greater who or what is the greater global fulfillment? That's our next question. So, lesser regional, a power rising near the end of the 1260 years, the greater global arises after the wound is healed, after 1929. Arises an unpopulated area, the lesser regional, the greater global arises without human empowerment. Doesn't need human to get humanity or populations or human governments to give it power arises with two principles similar to Jesus the Lamb, arises presenting himself to be the Lamb. Speaks like a dragon, is the dragon. I'm suggesting here that the greater global fulfillment is when Satan impersonates Christ claiming to be the Savior. This is the greater global fulfillment. Let's look at the data, see if we can support that. We'll rise after the first beast. Well, Satan's future impersonation is clearly after the first beast and after the wounds healed. So, yeah, that's an easy one to meet. Uh, arises from the earth. Satan, the impersonator of Christ. When he was cast out of heaven, where does, heaven, where, where does the Bible say he was cast out to? Into the earth. He was cast into the earth. Where does, where does Job tell us he, he comes back to heaven from? From roaming through the earth. Yeah, in the earth or through the earth, yes. Uh, and arising out of the earth is the opposite 
of the angels of God who are always described in Bible prophecy as having faces like the sun or even standing in the sun. They are lights in the, inside the earth is a place of darkness. Does Satan, and then the other application, does Satan actually get his power from human people? No. 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 So, so he didn't have any power until God created Adam and Eve. Until God created Adam and Eve, he had no power to do anything. He wasn't deceiving a third of the angels or doing anything until Adam and Eve. He only got power once Adam and Eve were created. And only, not after they were created, only when they sinned, then he got power. Or did he, have, he had power before that. Yeah. Did he have, was he the father of lies before that? Did he have the power of death before that? Was he a murderer before that? Yes. He was he a murderer from the beginning, according to Jesus. Okay? Yeah. No, he does not get his power from the people. Speaks like the dragon, because he is a dragon, and uses all the authority and power of the first beast. Deceives, coerces, restricts liberty. Uh, will Satan uh, arise claiming to be the lamb? And the Messiah? Will he then turn and use all these same powers? Yes, he will. Let's go on. Yes, he'll use all these powers. Causes all except the saints to worship the first beast. How will he do that? All but the saints of God worship the beast by embracing and practicing his methods. And again, I already said this. Even if you don't believe in God, but you practice the methods of the beast, coercion and force on others, then you are giving honor or or worshiping the beast because that's what you value and apply into your own heart and life. Performs miracles and calls fire down from heaven. Remember our dual fulfillment prophecy. Lesser regional application, greater global application. Not every element applies to both. The lesser serves the goals of the greater. And in Joel's prophecy on the day of, of Pentecost, there were no wonders in the heaven, no, no moon turned to blood. But that happens before the second coming of Christ. So too here, the USA does not perform miracles, does not call fire down from heaven. Satan impersonating Christ will perform miracles and call fire down from heaven. Now, after I already came to these conclusions... Based on my study of scripture, I came across a Bible commentary. You might have heard of this commentary. It's called The Great Controversy. Okay? And in that book, and you can actually find this quote if you have your lesson quarterly, because the, the lesson I found out when I read ahead for next week, in Friday's lesson next week, actually puts this quote in the lesson next week. But this is what it says in Great Controversy, page 612. Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing fire down from heaven in the sight of man. And the author quotes Revelation 13, 13. This is the second beast. So who is this author identifying the second beast to be that calls fire down from heaven? That's what I'm telling you guys. The second beast is a dual fulfillment prophecy. It represents regionally and historically the United States coming up with lamb-like principles to protect in the flow of time, uh, in the focus of the gospel advancing. But the United States eventually betrays those principles. But the greater global fulfillment is when a dragon presents himself as a lamb who calls down fire from heaven to perform miracles? Yes. But we could we could even argue that the the, the regional apply, uh, application of, of miracles and fire from heaven could apply to the United States with um, the development of the computer, the AI that's being developed right now, television. That those are to much of the world. These are miraculous inventions. In addition, uh, cruise missiles or thermonuclear yeah. weapons. Yeah. That have been used by the United States. I think what you're going to see when, when, when Satan appears is going to uh, be so far beyond. Yo, I agree. That, that what you're describing, that's technological. Yeah. That's human. That's power. That's power, but certainly not a miracle. Certainly not controlling the forces of nature. Oh, 
I think it will. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be, it'll be on a scale unimagined. So I, I'm feeling pretty comfortable here with our interpretation so far. Followers are marked in their forehead or their hand. Followers of the beast, forehead or hand. So let's talk about the seal of God and the mark of the beast. The Bible says about the righteous, it says, uh, do not, uh, the, the angel coming from heaven to the angels holding back the four winds of strife says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. God's people get a seal on their forehead. The second beast also forces everyone to receive a mark either on the right hand or the forehead. Seal of God only in the forehead. Mark the beast, right hand or forehead. This is symbolic. We have to decode it. What does it mean? The seal of God. Exodus 28, 36 to 38. Make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it a seal. Here's the seal that is engraved on the plate. Holy to the Lord. Fasten a blue cord. By the way, the blue cord symbolically represents, remember from a previous lesson? God's law, which is the law of love, the protocol. So holy to the Lord, fastened with a blue cord, which is God's law, to the turban, which is in the front of the turban, which will be on Aaron's forehead, on the forehead. Holy to the Lord through applying the design law, truth, love, liberty of God. This is a symbol. And then notice the New Testament application, Ephesians 1.13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Or Ephesians 4.30.32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. We are sealed to God in our foreheads when we are transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit from unholy to holy people who have God's living law of love written upon their heart. I will write my law on your heart and mind, it says in the New Covenant. That's what it means to be sealed. And so Revelation describes those sealed in Revelation twelve eleven. These are they who overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Notice, notice the description. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The natural world is survival of the fittest. Me first. If somebody's trying to harm me, I have a right to defend myself and kill them. I'm going to run from death. Those who perfect love cast out all fear and are renewed give their lives. Greater love is no man that he kill his neighbor to protect himself. No, greater love is no man that he give his life for a friend. This is how we know what love is, that Christ gave his life for us. We want to give our lives for our, our brothers. This is scripture. These people have Christ-like character restored. They're holy people. Seal of God are sealed into loyal love and faithfulness to God in both mind and heart. They will not betray him by joining the beast and practicing beastly methods in order to save self. They won't be afraid of of something they can't see that might be floating in the air, and thus they will pass laws to shut down everybody else's business and and prevent them from being with their family so that they can feel safe and make everybody else wear a mask. Even though I got mine on, I can't be safe unless you're going to make you do it too. (laughs) They won't do that. They might present what they believe is true, but they'll leave people free to decide for themselves. 
This is why God's seal is only in the forehead and not on the hand. What's the mark of the beast? It can be either on the forehead or the hand. The forehead represents our hearts, minds, beliefs, loyalty to where we think, our devotion. The hand represents our behaviors, our actions. So marked on the forehead are the true believers in the satanic methods. They believe it's actually right and good to use the ten horn powers to force their ways upon other people, to bring about justice. That's the right way to do things. They're believers in it. Examples from history, Hitler, Goebbels, Stalin. Many people believed it was right to do this. You had power, you should use it on others. Marked in the hand. These are people who would not initiate such actions or exploit others or happy to live and let live. Uh, They don't even necessarily agree with the practices, but will join with the beastly powers to protect themselves, to keep their homes, their businesses, their licenses, their freedom to travel, to prevent themselves from being persecuted, or to keep the institutions that they manage open and their government checks coming in. (laughs) Examples from history, many of the German people who went along with and enforced the Nazi laws. And same in communist lands. And same in America during COVID. Same in Adventism. Revelation 13, 16, and 17, he also forced everyone, small, great, rich, or poor, free or slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or the forehead so that they could, no one could buy or sell unless they had the mark. The mark of the beast is the mark of beastly character embraced either in the heart or practiced in how one treats other people. People mark themselves by what they love and believe or what they do and how they practice. Jesus said is that uh, as we treat others, as you've done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me, unto Jesus. That's how we, that's how we want it. It's the methods we practice. What about the number 666? I, I really, really like this. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. 666. This number applies to the second beast, not the first beast. Not the, not the chameleon beast, not the Revelation 13, one beast. This number is being applied to the second beast. Therefore, it cannot represent the pope or the papal system. And in my, uh, it, for, those, for those, if you get this uh, magazine, uh, this, is, this was also concluded by previous editors of the ministry magazine back in the 30s or 40s, and there's a whole article I quote in here where they actually make the same point. So it's not, I'm the first person to com- come up with that, and it's fraudulent to suggest that in fact it does. It is referring to the greater fulfillment, Satan's impersonation of Christ, not to the regional chameleon beast. And it says it's the number of his name. The number of his name. Names in scripture have meaning. When Jacob finally overcame himself and, was, and fully trusted God, his name was changed from Jacob deceiver to Israel, one who with God overcomes. The righteous get a new name. All, all, all in scripture, we get a new name that Christ writes upon our foreheads. We are converted, we become part of the family of God. The beast has a character or a name that is symbolically represented by 666. So what does that mean? Well, he's impersonating Jesus. That's who he's coming to impersonate. So let's look at Jesus first. Jesus is God who became fully human, a real man. A real man. 
Jesus is the light which lightens all men, the Bible says in John chapter 1. And this is symbolically represented in the sanctuary by the lampstand, the central gold pillar representing his divine self connected with six bowls representing fallen humanity he united himself with, humanity made on day six, making a perfect seven and seven spiritual perfection that Jesus perfected for us, our Savior, the lamp, the light unto the world. Jesus came to take up humanity, damaged and sinful from Adam, to purify and free humanity from sin, to be the second Adam, the new head of humanity, to cleanse us. Humanity has three parts that need cleansing, according to Scripture. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Sanctify, make holy. That's what that means. Make holy. May your whole spirit, soul, and body became, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's First Thessalonians 5.23. Jesus came, and as our substitute, as the second Adam, purified humanity completely. Yes? In spirit, in soul, and in body. And if you gave a numerical designation to perfection, what would you give it? And so you would make a numerical designation of a perfect spirit, soul, and body. How? This would be represented by 777. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, holy in spirit, holy in soul, holy in body. So 666, Satan comes as the great imposter claiming to be Christ, but he is not holy, holy, holy. He is the false Messiah, the opposite of Jesus. He is unholy, 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 and now it would be represented by 666. What do you mean that's tough? We've never, ever heard anything like this. I haven't. Exactly, Tina. Well, that's why you're going to study on your own. Yeah, but I've studied before. I have never come up with this. (laughs) (laughs) So it's more comfortable to take an attribute that's assigned by Scripture to the the lamb-like beast and ascribe it back to a previous beast. That's more comfortable because you've read that before. I'm familiar with that. Because they've been taught that our whole life. Yeah. We've been taught a lot of things our whole life, haven't we? We've been taught that God is required to use his power to torture and kill people as long as they deserve before he executes them. But this is one of the basic principles or thoughts or whatever you want to call it of our church. Since you brought it up, I will read, I will go ahead and reference. I wasn't going to put this in the program, but since you brought it up. And I read this book this week, so. Yeah, um, just so you know, it's not taught by our church. It's taught by some people in our church. This is um, out of Ministry Magazine, Seventh-day Adventist. Publication to pastors, 1948. Each, uh, because the historical, it was came, Uriah Smith came up with that hypothesis that it represents the Pope with the, with the mitre that says the Ficarius Filidei, and it's 666. You've all heard this. And it's been presented by many people. This is what Ministry Magazine wrote. It says, I'm on page 50. Each Pope, like any other sovereign, has his own tiara, which is the papal crown. There is, therefore, no one tiara that is worn by the full succession of papal pontiffs. Moreover, personal examination of these various tiaras by different men back through the years and a scrutiny of the pictures of the many more have failed to disclose one engraved with the inscription, Vicarius Filidei. 
there's a fraudulent allegation that, that's, that's inscribed on this. It's never been historically identified or, or shown. There is none such there is none such definitely known to exist. As heralds of truth, talking about the Adventists now, as heralds of truth, we are to proclaim the truth truthfully. No fabrication should ever becloud our presentation of truth. The present truth of the threefold message is so overwhelming in its logical appeal and so inescapable in its claim that it needs no dubious evidence or illustration to support it. Recourse to an unreliable and fraudulent evidence discounts the very message that we are commissioned by heaven to give men and reflects upon the honesty of the messenger. Regrettably, some of our evangelists who do not have all the facts and uh, to whom the appeal of the moment has sometimes outweighed the ethics of the case and who perhaps have not thought through the fraudulent character of such plausible and specious evidence have occasionally continued to use this or a similar fabrication. In the name of truth and honesty, this journal protests any such use by any member of the Ministerial Association of the Seventh-day Adventist Denomination, our worker body, uh, of, which the minist- of, uh, of which the ministry magazine is an official organ. Truth does not need fabrication to aid or support it. Its very nature precludes any manipulation and or duplicity. We cannot afford to be party to any fraud. The reflex action upon our own souls should be sufficient deterrent. We must never be use a quotation or a picture merely because it sounds or looks impressive. We must honor the truth and meticulously observe the principles of honesty in the handling of evidence in all circumstances. Boy, that's embarrassing. 1948. And, our, and there are certain evangelists in our church that are still, still preaching. promoting the fraud. Oh, absolutely. Well, Revelation wow. Because it's easier. Yep. So, I, so I, I've got a way of understanding this that is being drawn from application of scripture of Christ becoming our substitute to make us holy in body, soul, and spirit, and the great fraud will be unholy in all aspects. So, you, you, I'll, I'll leave it with you again. So, um, the identifiers of the, of the second beast, the lamb-like beast, is the regional interpretation the United States, the global interpretation will be Satan, the dragon pretending to be the lamb, who will then create a new beastly system modeled after the first beast, an image to the first beast, and the new beastly system is described in Revelation 17. So now let's look at the beast of Revelation 17. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up up out of the abyss and go to its, his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. So identifiers. It's scarlet beast, covered in blasphemous names, Seven heads, ten horns, comes out of the abyss, once was, now is not, and yet will come, is an eighth king, ten horns or ten kings. Noticeably, there are no crowns on the ten horns of this beast. So let's go through this. Scarlet. First thing is scarlet. 
Scarlet is the same color as the dragon in Revelation 12, 3, which is Satan. Scarlet is symbolic for the color of sin. sin. Come, let us reason together, though your sins are as scarlet. Okay? So scarlet, this is a sinful organization, system, power. The beast is formed by Satan when he's impersonating Christ. This new system, this new scarlet beast. Covered in blasphemous names. Blasphemy is written all over its body because when this beast forms, there's no righteous left in that group. The shaking has happened and all who identify with this group are marked beastly. The entire body, the body of believers, the entire group, unlike the chameleon beast of Revelation 13.1, had seven heads, blasphemy written on the heads. There are seven false systems of religion, but through the dark ages, even though the papal system or the false Protestant system or these other systems fall within those groups, they always had individual people who were still righteous. So the body was not blasphemous, just the systems were blasphemous. This beast, when it forms, the entire body is blasphemous. This beast is the embodiment of sin, evil, and corruption. It's anti-truth, anti-love, anti-freedom. It is Satan's counterfeit system in its purest and most complete and unhindered form. Seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads and ten horns. It will be endorsed. What does that mean? It will be endorsed and supported by the seven false systems. They will accept and promote this final conglomeration, and it will have the support of all human governments. It will use the ten powers of Satan as well. Okay. Comes out of the abyss. Abyss is the same as bottomless pit. It's a place the opposite of God, which is described as higher than the highest heavens. God is highest than the highest heavens. This is the lowest of the, of the low. It's the exact opposite of God. It is a place of the lowest, vilest, most evil, corrupt, sinful place, degradation, chaos, darkness, and death. It's a way of describing the earth in Genesis 1.1. Remember the earth was a black pit abyss? Okay. That before God brought his cosmos, creation, his power, his presence to bring order, it was disorder, it was chaos, it was dark, it was destruction. There was nothingness. That's what the abyss is. Without God, basically. This is what the earth will return to when God removes himself and all the saints and leaves Satan back in this pit or abyss without his presence during the thousand years. Now, this is an interesting one. I really like this one. This beast once was. Now, as John is writing, it is not. It's not. But it will come again. Once was, is not, yet will come. This is a worldwide, global coalition of hardened and incalcitrant sinners, irredeemable, warring against heaven. It existed at the time of Noah. It once was. It was destroyed at the flood. And when they tried to reform at the Bible, God confused the languages so it would not happen. It does not exist now. It hasn't existed since. A worldwide, total, global coalition hardened against God. But it will exist again before Christ comes. Is this what uh, Ellen White refers to as, as the exalted form, form of worship? 
I'm not familiar with that reference, so I'd have to check that out. I think it's in, in great controversy. So think that through. Once existed, hasn't since, will again. Is an eighth king. And the Bible actually says it this way. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and one is not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven is going to his destruction. The seven heads we already discussed in detail last time. The seven hills. Seven hills are seven high places of worship. They're the seven false systems of worship that we already went through in our recap. The, the paganism and godlessness and Islam and Judaism and false and all the seven false systems. Okay, that's what the seven hills are. The seven heads. The third beast of Revelation 17 now is described as the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. But the word king in most of your translations is actually not in the Greek. It doesn't exist. It's added by the translators. So a better translation from the Bible would be the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth. That's what the Bible says. It's an eighth. Well, so the question is an eighth what? An eighth false religious system. This is the system that once was, now is not, but yet will come. This is the global, worldwide, finally beastly system of false religion with Satan impersonating Christ being worshipped as Christ. That's the eighth. He belongs to the seven, meaning he belongs to the same fallenness and falsehood as all the other seven false systems do. And he will also be endorsed and supported by the leadership of the false systems. Ten horns are ten kings. The ten horns are ten kings that have power for a short time. This represents the global, earthly powers and governments that join in with this global beastly system and give their allegiance to Satan and follow his directorship. No crowns on their horns. Now let's talk about crowns and what they mean. And it comes back to this following Satan's leadership. Crowns. The chameleon beast of Revelation 13.1 has crowns on their horns, 10 horns with crowns on them. The scarlet beast has 10 horns, but no crowns. The red dragon which is Satan, the ancient serpent, in Revelation 12, 3, has seven heads and ten horns, but the crowns are on the heads. You notice these crowns are moving around here. So what are the crowns and what do they symbolize? Why are they on the horns of the chameleon beast, not on the, horn, uh, on the heads of the dragon, and not on the scarlet beast at all? In, in the New Testament, Greek, there are two words that are translated as crowns. Diadems are crowns of authority, of imperial rule, of power over others. And Stephanos are the crowns of victory. And so in um, the Bible, um, Paul writes, now there is stored up for me a crown, Stephanos, of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but to all, also all those who have longed for his appearing. And in multiple places where you find the righteous receiving a crown, including in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, it's always Stephanos, the crown of righteousness. So we have the crown of power and authority. We have the crown of righteousness. Which, which do you think, which Greek word do you think the Bible uses for the crowns that are upon the dragon and the beast? It is diadem. It is not Stephanos. It is the crown of power over others, the crown of authority, diadems, imperial rule, coercive power. Why are the crowns then of authority, of power on the heads 
of the dragon and on the horns of the chameleon beast and not on the scarlet at all. Because the chameleon beast used power of governmental power to enforce or advance its agenda. It had authority over to coerce people. That's the chameleon beast. Satan, the dragon in heaven, did not have governmental power to force his way on the angels in heaven. So his authority to advance his kingdom came through deception. And thus his power was to deceive, and that's why it was on the heads. And the scarlet beast only carries out the orders of the beast with lamb-like horns, Satan impersonating Christ, thus it has no power of its own. It's just you know, actors uh, carrying out the orders of Satan who has the power at the final conglomeration of the scarlet beast. Now, another point to make, the, re- the beast of Revelation 17 is not the beast of Revelation 13.1. You will hear some in the, in at least the Adventist church and circle try to tell you the future is going to be the reconstitution of the papal power beast system of the Dark Ages. You're going to read that if you read your lesson for this week and even next week. That is not what Scripture teaches. And I'm going to show you these beasts are not the same. Let, let's see. Let's, after I show you, you tell me if you think the, the beast of the chameleon beast of Revelation 13.1 and the scarlet beast are the same. The chameleon beast comes out of the sea. The scarlet beast comes out of the abyss. The chameleon beast has blasphemy written on seven heads. The scarlet beast has blasphemy written all over its body. The chameleon beast has a body like a leopard, a bear, a lion, and a grotesque beast. The scarlet beast has a scarlet body like the dragon. The chameleon beast has crowns on its horns. The scarlet beast has no crowns on its horns. Do these sound like the same beast to you? Do you understand the, the, the serious lack of application of the biblical symbolism? I mean, if we're going to use letters as symbols, there's a word that has, you know, let's say, we got four different, four letters, L-O-V-E, and I put something else up there like P-U-L-L. Both four letters, and I say they're the same thing. Because they both have four letters. I mean, you're reimagining love. Yeah. The beast of Revelation 17 is not the beast of Revelation 13, either the first or the second. It's a separate end time global power brought to life by the dragon impersonating the lamb. It is similar in character, methods, practices, and source of its power because remember, the first beast of Revelation 13 got its power from the dragon, the Bible says. So this second beast uses the same methods, but it gets its power from the dragon, who's pretending to be the lamb. The beast of Revelation 13, one is that chameleon beast with regional power. The beast of Revelation 17 is the final end-time global power that leads the world in the final battle against Jesus. So here's a potential future. Walk you through. As people reject God, and notice the word potential, I'm not dogmatic on this. It may not go this way. Um, as people reject God and turn to godless evolution and humanism, they harden their hearts and the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is slowly withdrawn from the earth by human choice to harden him out of their hearts. The four winds are loosened and satanic forces gain more freedom to act. Climate problems increase with worsening storms, earthquakes, fires, and pestilence. Humanity becomes ever more debased with loss of virtue, integrity, honesty, reliability. 
truth is called evil, and lies are called good. Men are called women, and women are called men. And if you actually uh, were to suggest there's an objective, factual, biological, measurable basis of difference, then you're evil. It's a hate crime. It's a hate crime to suggest such a thing. You have to deny... Let me, let me just say, I'm going to take a little side. I was telling Russell right before class, a new way to kind of conceive of demonic and sorcery and, and spiritualism. God is the God of reality. He builds reality. He is the source of truth. Satan is the father of lies. And so, so in order for Satan to get your mind, he has to get you to decouple it from reality, from truth. So he wants you to reimagine the world. Reimagine the future. Reimagine what human sexuality is. Reimagine, reimagine, reimagine. These are, these, are, these are the voices of demons in our society today. These are godless people who are wanting to decouple you from objective reality. Look where has been leading the world. We do not want to leave reality and enter into fantasy. We want to be anchored in our eternal reality found in God's word in the creation he designed. Truth is called evil and, and lies are, are called good. Violence, exploitation, and injustice increase in our society. Chaos increases, which inflames fear. So chaos, chaos in all types of elements in our society that becomes less predictable, less, less uh, safe. And so fear and selfishness and survival drives increase. God's true people found in all parts of the world give the final message of mercy to the world. The truth of God's character of love, his design laws, the objective realities that as he's made them, how health and happiness are only possible in harmony with his design laws. These methods and principles are in direct conflict with the imaginary made-up systems of the beast. Into this ever-increasing, chaotic, violent, decaying world because that's the only outcome you can get when you break away from God's design laws. The only result is increasing chaos and ruin and pain and suffering. And as this, all this stuff happens and it seems like the world is falling apart, life and fear is going everywhere, the climate catastrophe, life-ending pandemics, global food shortages, wars, financial collapse, uh, a powerful figure arises proclaiming he can save the planet. Wow. This figure will present himself as our creator, the one who brought life to this planet eons ago will claim to be coming back to check on how we're doing. <laughs> he will talk of a galactic war between the two antagonistic powers and claim the enemy of all good is coming to planet Earth to destroy it. What does the Bible teach Jesus is going to do when he comes to the planet this next time? Destroy it. He's going to renew it? He is? He's coming to renew it when he comes this next time? Or is he coming to destroy it for a thousand years? Okay. So the galactic enemy is coming. He's coming to destroy the earth. He will use advanced powers, either supernatural or technological, to perform various miracles. He will claim that he can save the planet and usher in an age of prosperity for all, including banishing aging and death. He will make it appear that he can raise the dead and will heal various diseases. He will show overwhelming might and power and tell the world he can protect us from the coming global annihilation if only the entire world accepts him as their leader. He will report that the galactic, galactic law will not allow him to act on our behalf on this planet without the consent of the people. We have to choose him. 
The various world leaders quickly unite and vote to accept him. But the saints of God reject him and speak out against him. The saints we labeled as rebels, conspiracy nuts, fanatics, anti-human, extremists, terrorists, agents of the galactic enemy who want to destroy the planet and human life. He will declare that he still loves these rejectors of his mercy and in love must discipline them and instruct the world and instructs the world leaders to use their authority and police powers to limit who can buy and sell and who can travel and who can be employed out of love and discipline to lead them to repentance, of course. This leader claims he doesn't want to punish anyone, but law and justice require that disobedience be held, disobedient be held accountable. If they won't accept his mercy, then the only just thing he can do is punish them. This sounding theologically familiar to you? This is exactly what Christianity teaches Jesus is going to come and say. All those who hold the penal legal model of things. Some cave to the pressure and go along and accept him. Others do not, and they are arrested and threatened with imprisonment and death. But the saints recognize these actions, in these actions are the use of imposed law and is Satan bringing his form of government to bear, and they refuse to accept him and remain loyal to Christ. As these agents of Satan go out to kill the saints, God's angels appear and protect them. And then Jesus appears in the clouds, and the wicked on earth are put into the grave, and the sleeping saints are raised to meet Jesus in the air, along with the living saints who are transformed and were taken to heaven for a thousand years. The final conflict is over two laws, design law versus imposed law, which requires inflictions of punishment. It is over God of love versus fear and selfishness. It is over the methods we use in how we treat others, as you've done it unto the least of me, these you've done it unto me. Regardless of the specific details, the beast will use imposed law with externally inflicted punishments in the pursuit of justice. God uses truth, love, and freedom. And here's an historical quote from Desire of Ages 759. God could have destroyed Satan and his sympathizers as easily as one cast a pebble to the earth, but he did not do this. Rebellion was not to be overcome by force. Compelling power is found only under Satan's government. The Lord's principles are not of this order. His authority rests, authority, authority rests on goodness, mercy, and love. And the presentation of these principles is the means to be used. God's government is moral, and truth or love are to be the prevailing power. Oh, Tim? Yes, questions, yeah. When you were talking earlier, and I think why Jesus shut down a lot of what the, the demons wanted to say when they were being pushed out of somebody, um, in Luke 8, uh, they, and actually all of the other places, it says, you know, have you come to torture me? And so on. They they indicate that Jesus is there to torture them. But Jesus asked them, "What is your name, Legion?" He replied, "Because we, uh, many demons had gone into this guy, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss." And so you mentioned abyss earlier, and here the demons are referring being cast into the abyss from which they came. And they're terribly afraid of it. And they want people, I think, to think Jesus is there to torture. The same thing today. We think at the end Jesus is there to torture. And Satan is promoting that view of Jesus by saying, if you come to torture us. Yep. 
Questions about the presentation? Last week's and today's. Any new ideas? Anything you haven't heard before? A lot. Does it make sense? Do you see the great controversy? Do you see the two antagonistic principles? The design law creator God versus its imperial dictator system. You say it so plainly. Right. How could I talk to my neighbor and say it like this? I get so confused. <laughs> hey, would you read this and let's, ha- let's talk? That's how you say that. Yeah. I, I read this twice. I still don't know about that. But that's all in here. It says it right in the... Yeah, but it's like... But you said such understandable comfort. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'll go home and read it again I'll now. Yeah, absolutely. understand it a lot better. Well, so, so sometimes people learn more by hearing than they do by reading in different ways we learn. And so, so you might have read it, but your, your, your way of learning might be more auditory. And therefore, it's, it's why we do presentations like this. What makes yeah. it more real when yeah. you say it than when I read it? Before I close with prayer, any other questions about this? Anybody? Yeah. I just want to say that, you know, we have been drilled for so long with another interpretation, which you identify as partially fraud and also as partially just... Okay, you know, Th- those words were out of Ministry Magazine. I didn't use the word fraud myself. Bad scholarship, okay. Either way, it's when you have a predetermined uh, prejudicial way of going into these things... You can read something that is entirely different and still come back with a preconceived idea. That's right. Mark Twain said it's easier to fool somebody than to convince them they've been fooled. (laughs) That's about right. Just keep correcting me. (laughs) (laughs) Any other comments, questions? All right, let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God of love and truth and the God who governs time and can see through time, and nothing that's going to come upon this world is going to take you by surprise. And we thank you that you have given these various uh, uh, prophecies uh, to us to study, to apply your, um, the reasoning power you've given us, uh, to, to search these things out so that we can understand them and make them our own. We ask that you will lead us as we do our own study this week to understand and discern the truth and, and uh, keep advancing in this truth, but ultimately in applying the principles of how you govern in the way we govern ourselves and treat each other. We pray in your holy name. Amen.